Thanks, Pastor Stevie. Yeah. Face bump. So glad you're here today. Again, we appreciate your giving. I told you a couple weeks ago that um, if you didn't know, E3 Church, we help uh, plant that. So as far as financially. So we were, you're, you gave over and above last month and we, look, we give 10% away. Uh, so Pastor Brian is starting a good work across the street. And so you guys financially supporting a church is reaching other people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's, to me, that's what it's about, right? It's the kingdom. Amen. Same team, and uh, you know we get together and we, we do some trades here and there. I'm like, I got two problem people. Do you want them for two tithers? And we, we do a little... That's not what we do, but Pastor Brian and his wife, great, great people. And so you know that. So make sure you support them in prayer. When you drive by and you see the E3 Church, um, that's a church that we're financially supporting to help reach our community. Uh, and that's exciting to me, amen, because it's all about the kingdom. That's what it was. Hey, I want to read you a quick story called Right Decisions. And I, I like this. It says, a young man who was appointed to the presidency of a bank at the tender age of 32. Pastor Stevie is 32. So he is tender, I guess, according to this. The promotion was far beyond his wildest dreams and very frightening to him, so he went to the venerable old chairman of the board to ask for advice on how to become a good bank president. What is the most important thing for me to do as the new bank president, he asked. Make right decisions, said the gentleman. The young man thought about this for a moment and said, well, thank you very much, that's really helpful, but can you be a little bit more specific? How do I make right decisions? The wise old man said, experience. Exasperated, the young man said, that's the problem. I don't have any. How do I get experience? Wrong decisions, came the old man's reply. I love that, right? Because a lot of us make wrong decisions and that's how we get experience. The question is, is do we repeat the wrong decisions? Um, I would much rather learn from your mistake than my own. Like to go, oh, don't do that. So we're in a series called Faithful, and again, if this is your first time here or second time, thank you so much for being here. Um, I, I, love, I love our church family, and as I was thinking, this, this week, actually, or this month, marks, for me, 30 years of full-time ministry. I started when I was eight. Uh, no, I graduated, graduated Bible College 30 years ago, and I had a job in the Valley uh, we moved here 31 years ago, my family. My dad moved to the logging company here. And, and I was just thinking about it. Wow, 30 years uh, of full-time ministry, and I still love it. I love people. I love our church family and couldn't be more blessed. And, uh, and that's a long time because, like I said, Pastor Steve is only 32. That guy was still messing his pants when I started full-time ministry. Um, and I was like, wow, two years old. And that, that makes me old, kind of, yep. but not really. He's just matured more than me. Um, and so as I was thinking about reminiscing the good, the bad, the ugly, a lot of us have gone through, you know, I grew up in church and went through some experiences that were ugly. Like, you know, anybody remember the old church fights, you know, where the stuff happened, you're like, ah, and, and I went through a lot of that stuff. And you know what will keep you is the call of God and to know that people are not God. People are not God. We have to continue to love Jesus regardless of how people treat us, of how people react. Um, you know, we're all a little bit of messed up. We really are. Some people are just a little more messed up. And in and, and a church family, which is what we are, you have people that are all on different levels of their walk with God. And let me tell you something. The, the length of time that you've been saved does not determine your maturity level. I've known 70-year-old men who are just as 
almost as evil as the devil, right? They might be going to heaven, but barely. And I've known mature Christians a year into it that just love God with a passion. And so, um, again, what we're doing as a church family is we are just trying to make our way to heaven the best we can to love each other, to love people, and take as many people as we can with us. Amen. I think we had six people uh, come to Jesus last Sunday. And man, that's a win for me. That's a win to have, to have one person give their life to Christ is so important. So uh, my wife did an amazing job last week. Baby, I love you. I don't know where you're at, but she's, she's, she's looking at me. I know she is. She has a twinkle in her eye because um, I, have, I, have, I have the clothes that she bought me that are expensive. Because <laughs> I like to wear cheap pants because I destroy them. Um, but I love my wife, and she, she preached last week, did an amazing job. And her challenge uh, to us was just to keep walking around the walls that we haven't seen come down yet. Let God do the work. Okay? And it's hard to do that sometimes. And so what I want to do, I'm going to tell you a little story first, is I want to go back you know, from Jericho happened. But what happened before Jericho? What brought them to Jericho? And so Pastor Stevie and I, we're going to do a little team teaching. Um, and so I, my first question is, do you care if I just teach today? Is that okay? Because Pastor Stevie is the preacher of the church, and I get to be the teacher of the church, which means he gets to be mean to you, and I get to be the dad that goes, it's okay. He didn't really mean it the way he said it. It's all right. And I'm like, well, actually, he did mean it the way he said it, but... um, I love I loved team speaking with him, and so I just get to teach, which is what I enjoy doing. So I'll tell you, 30, 31 years ago, we moved to, to Boise um, from Northern California. Make sure that's very clear. And I'm not talking San Francisco. I'm talking Oregon border northern, way up in the boonies uh, where I grew up um, on the Klamath River. I was born on Hoopa Indian Reservation and great upbringing. This little animal called the spotted owl is really the reason why we're in Idaho. Uh, we had elk hunted here for years, but uh, my dad moved his company here in 1990. I was 19 years old, about ready to graduate college. And, uh, and the church they went to needed a youth pastor and children's pastor and a lawn maintenance guy and a janitor and anything else the pastor deemed necessary. All for the loving amount of $1,000 a month. Yep. Which was, I think, how every youth pastor should start out as that, right? Every teenager shouldn't start off making, you know, 85 grand a year. I just, just, it just shouldn't happen that way. But um, let's get out of politics and let's move on. I think you should earn a paycheck. Uh, so my first trip to Boise uh, went through Winnemucca. I, I think I left college and I'm driving up here. And I get to Winnemucca to get fuel in my pickup. And I got fuel and I jump back on and I'm driving and driving. And something just didn't feel right. And this is before Siri said, turn around, stupid. You're going the wrong direction. Uh, didn't even have a cell phone at that point. And I got to looking at my map and I'm like, I am going toward Elko. And I'm supposed to be going toward Boise, which is the other direction. And, and so I stopped, I believe, at this little farmhouse. And I'm like, I have no idea where I'm at. Where I'm, and they're like, well, you got to go this way to go that way. And, and, and I made this big old loop through Duck Valley Indian Reservation, came through Mountain Home. And I remember coming in to Boise. And now the directions were completely backwards. So I was really screwed up in my brain. Because you didn't have a smartphone to tell you rerouting. Um, I had to actually do math and figure it out. And so... I tell you this story to tell you this. Sometimes we make wrong decisions without realizing it. And we end up in a place we didn't mean to end up. But it doesn't have to be that way. I still got to my destination. It's just that my detour took me the long way because I failed to pay attention to the map. I should have not stayed on I-80. I believe I-80 is that good Elko? Um, you know, I should have got on the, the road that comes here, which I should know what that one is to have driven it many times. 95? 95. Which is the speed that Pastor Stevie likes to drive on that road. Um, yeah. 
It's your turn in a couple weeks, bro. You can throw me under buses too. Um, and so anyhow, I, I just want to tell you today that, that if you feel lost, you have to do one thing and that is course correct. You have to recognize, okay, I'm on a wrong road here or I'm lost and I don't, I know where I want to go, but I'm not sure how to get there. And I'm here to help you with that, to say there's times in our lives that, that detours our destinies, okay? And that's the title of the message is Detours and Destinies. There's a difference between a train slipping off the rail and a train wreck. They're both off the tracks, but one causes a lot more damage than the other. But it's what you do after this train wreck that determines whether or not you'll make it. And so I don't know where you are in your walk right now with God. I don't know where you are in life. But I promise you this, I could talk to every single one of you and every single one of you is facing something that you would rather not be facing. If God would just take it away, you'd, you'd be like, okay, cool, that's one less thing that I have to worry about. Every single one of us on this path to heaven is facing something that we would rather not face, but we might need to face in order to grow, in order to mature. It's what you do after the train wreck that determines whether or not you'll make it. So you have a lot more with fulfilling God's purpose for your life than you think. All right, so before Jericho, again, the title, Detours and Destinies, yeah, I want to recap a little bit uh, about what was happening at Jericho. God gave them specific instructions on how to take the city. It would be the first city taken uh, after 40 years of wandering in the desert. They, they were about to take the city, but there was a river they had to cross. And as my wife said last week, that, that God gave them a, a weird way to take a city. And that was simply okay, get up six days in a row, walk around at one time. And it covered about 10, 11 acres, okay? So our, we have six and a half acres here. So it wasn't a huge walk, right? You get up, walk around, do a, a march. We could probably freak the neighbors out. But remember the old Jericho marches? If you grew up in Pentecostal churches, it's like we do the Jericho march around the buildings. And, um, you know, we, we're not going to do that here because it might fall. That would not be bad. Um, I'm excited for our new building, all right? If you didn't know that, we're building a new building out there. I'm pretty excited about it. Pastor Stevie, could you kick the AC on? Like, it's probably 67. I'm toasty. It's, it's hotter over there than it is over here, especially now. I, I had to give him something, right? Thank you. But I'm getting a little toasty up here. All right. So here's what my wife taught us last week. It's your job to be obedient. It's God's job to make the walls fall down. Your job is just to keep on going. So uh, I would encourage you, don't try to beat down a door that God has kept shut. I've known some people who've tried to knock on the door and God's like, no, 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 don't go through the door. And you're determined, this is God's will. And you're banging and banging and banging. And God's like, I'll give you what you want, but you don't want what was behind door number one. Some of y'all wanted to marry that guy really bad. And now you're like, wow, I'm glad I didn't step behind door number one. Some of you did step behind door number one because you beat the sucker down and now you're regretting it. I'm standing, I'm your friend, but I'm telling you the truth, right? And you're like, wow, that was a decision that I, I got what I wanted, but what I thought I wanted isn't what I wanted now because now I have to deal with it. It's like getting a puppy, right? It's so cute, but then they grow and they chew stuff up and they go all kinds of crazy, all right? Or you wanted that baby. Because I'm a kid. You had a kid. Then your life changed forever. For the next 50 years, your life will be changed, all right? You're thinking 18, uh-uh, that's not the way it works anymore, what you want so bad may not be the thing that God has for you, okay? And God's like, you don't want what behind, what's behind that door. So here's how I pray. I pray, God, the doors you want me to step through, just open them up really wide. And the doors that you don't want me to step through, slam them shut so I know that it's you and you don't want me to go through this. I don't like the doors that are just barely open. You're like, should I or should I not? There's no fun to, to face those doors. So here's the setting. Okay, Jericho was about 40 years in the making, 
The Israelites, if you grew up in church, you know anything about the Old Testament, the Israelites wandered, okay? They wandered in the desert for 40 years because of disobedience. So um, Israel was actually captive in Egypt 430, for 430 years. Um, the story goes back to Joseph, which we'll get to in our Wednesday night Bible study. We're going through the book of Genesis. And so Genesis, this has been fun. You've been showing up. We've had a ton of people come to church on Wednesday nights. Um, and, and we're going through the book of Genesis, chapter 6. We're talking about the flood. We're talking about giants and what the world was like uh, about when the flood happened and how evil people were. I mean, it was just crazy. But Joseph led uh, his family. They came into Egypt, and he was betrayed by his brothers, if you know the story. So for 430 years, they've been under Egypt's uh, captivity. They became slaves. Um, And so that's a long time to be in slavery, and God raises Moses up to deliver them to the land of Canaan. Now, there's two things on Wednesdays. Wednesdays We learn this. There's there's a word for the the ark. I'm talking way too fast, though. Thank you. I'm course correcting. I'm practicing what I'm preaching, right? I'm, I'm rabbit trailing. And you're all like, I just look at your face and go, what is he talking about? That's okay. We're all confused. Okay. Let's get online here. God raises Moses up to deliver them out, of, out to the land of Canaan, out of Egypt. Now, the story with Moses, again, two arcs mentioned in the Bible. Uh, there's the Ark of the Covenant, but there's two arcs that float. And it's the only two arcs that are mentioned in the Bible. One is the big ark that the animals and, and Noah lived on. The other ark is the same Hebrew word as the one that Moses got put into, a little tiny basket um, that his mom made because the Pharaoh was killing all the male uh, boys. So baby boy was born, they killed him. So that's what Egypt was like in that day. Moses was stuck in the water. The princess found him. Most of you have seen the prince of Egypt. You know the story. Uh, she takes him home. So for 40 years, Moses lives as an Egyptian. He lives in the palace. He lives in luxury. He lives with lacking nothing. Educated, food, prestige. While he's watching his own people wind up in slavery, getting beat. And then one day he sees an Egyptian beating an Israelite and he kills the Egyptian. And the Israelite who got saved, must have told somebody because the next day Moses sees two Israelites arguing. He's like, why don't you guys knock it off? And then the guy goes, you're going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? And all of a sudden, 40 years of lifestyle of the rich and famous is gone because he has to flee into the desert. For 40 years, he's in the desert. I mean, away from Pharaoh. He's, he's, so 80 years old, God says, okay, I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to lead the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, into the promised land. So that's where the story had begun. Now 40 years go by and Moses is about to die, but he's not unhealthy. God has his plan and God has a purpose. And now Moses, here's what he learned. The Canaan promised land was four or five days of a walk from Egypt. It wasn't that far. Why did they wander for 40 years in the desert? And they wandered pretty much because of disobedience. They just, they were whining, they were complaining. And Moses has led this group of whiners and complainers for 40 years. And frankly, I think he's just sick of it. You ever went on a family vacation and you were going to the promised land, but your kids are fighting the whole time? Or you're fighting the whole time. And when your kids fight, usually you get into it. And all of a sudden you forget your destination and you're just like, ah! And so my question for you at this point, because Canaan was promised and Canaan would have been achieved had they not been afraid. Why were they afraid? Well, again, if you went to Sunday school, you might know the story about the 12 spies that were sent out. They get to the, to the border of Canaan. 
Moses says, I'm going to send 12 spies out. You're going to go spy out the land, see what it's like. 12 spies went out. They came back and they had these huge grapes and pomegranates and this food. And they came back with this report. And they're like, man, the land is good. But 10 of the spies said, but there's giants there. They're, they're way bigger than we are. And, and I don't think we should do it. I don't think we should possess it. Caleb and Joshua, the two guys are like, no, we can totally win this war. And the 10 other spies started telling the crowd, we can't do this, we can't do this, we can't do this. And so the crowd listened to the negative and they wandered for about 40 years and that generation died in the desert. Here's what I want to tell you is that your fear can rob you of what God has promised you. Your own fear can rob you of something that God has promised you. So what are you missing out because of fear? What are you missing out on in life because of fear? And now that generation dies off. So Moses is 120 years old. His life seems to be in 40-year increments, okay? 40 years of in the palace, 40 years in the desert. Now 40 years in the desert again with a bunch of whining, complaining, sniveling Israelites. And we haven't changed a whole lot, have we? Right? God blesses them and they whine. God blesses them and they whine. God provides water and they whine. God is like, what, what do I have to do to make you guys happy? And there's really nothing that God can do to make you happy. He sent Jesus and that's enough for me. All right, everything else is a blessing. So that's what leads us up to this story. They're about to cross the Jordan River, which was at flood stage, to take possession of what was promised so many years ago. The problem is this, is Moses actually disqualified himself by disobeying God. As they were wandering around in the desert, the people were saying, we don't have any water. God said, take your staff, strike this rock, and water will come out of it, and that's what happened. Well, the next time, they're whining and complaining, and grumbling, 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 and they're like, we don't have any water. And God said to Moses, speak, or, yeah, speak to the rock. This time, first time was hit the rock. Now he said, speak to the rock and water will come out. And Moses decided to take it a little further. And he got his club and he, boom, hit the rock. Water came out and God says, I told you not. I didn't tell you to hit it. I told you to speak to it. And he said, because you disobeyed me, you're not going to see the promised land. And, and it was amazing how Moses, the man of God who talked to God face to face and had this relationship with him, disobeyed God and had to suffer some consequences. It wasn't that he didn't get to go to heaven. It was just, you're not going to possess the land that I promised uh, because that one act of disobedience. So guys, our, our behavior really does matter. It really does. So now Moses, God's going to have a little talk with him. Deuteronomy chapter 34, 1 through 12. And here's, here's where we start in the story. It says, and then Moses, they're on the edge of, of Canaan, river in between. They're looking at the promised land. Jericho's off in the distance. And it says, then Moses climbed Mount Nebo, which is about a 4,500 foot of elevation. Anybody ever climbed that far? A thousand feet is quite a ways to high, but you got a 120 year old guy. I could just picture Yoda with his little staff, you know, he's walking up, <laughs> he's walking up the, but, but he wasn't like that. It says that he was strong. He goes 4,500 feet in elevation, and God's going to show him everything that he promised his forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Say, this is what I promised hundreds of years ago to your, your clan, and here it is. I'm going to show it to you. So he climbed to the top of, of, the, of uh, Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah along from Jericho, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all to Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Western Sea. It's about 300 square miles that he is showing him. So if you've ever been to Bogus Basin or top of the Owyhees where you can see the whole valley, I want you to picture yourself. That's what Moses is looking at. This is the promised land. Some of the land was as far as 100 miles away, so he, he couldn't see it physically, but in his eyes, God was showing him, here's all the land that I promised you. Shows it to him. It says, then the Lord said to him, 
This is tough. This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, Moses, but you can't have it. You can't cross over into it. That would be like on a Christmas day or a Christmas Eve. You taking your child under the tree and go, man, I got you the best present ever. The thing that you've been wanting all this time, it's in the box. But you can't have it because you disobeyed me yesterday. So sorry, it's going to go somewhere else. The kid would be like, no. It'd be like your husband taking a picture of a big bouquet of flowers and a thing to dinner and sending it to you and said, this is what you could have had, but you were not nice to me last night, so we're not going. <laughs> Ladies, it'd be like you sending this really cute pe- picture of yourself going, hey, this is what you can't have tonight because you were not nice to me yesterday. <laughs> That's what it's like. And Moses is like, well, you know what, God, why you show me? Well, we'll just talk a little bit about, because I always thought, man, it kind of seems unfair. You know, poor Moses obeyed God and he did like one thing wrong. And, and he can't go. And then Scott, I thought, started thinking, Moses might have been happy about this. He's like, I've been leading a bunch of whining, sniveling, complaining group of people for 40 stinking years, and now I don't have to mess with them anymore? Hallelujah. It'd be like a kid driving off to college. You're like, bye, see ya. All right? If you had a whining child or children. Empty nesters. Isn't it good? Right? It's good, all right? Some some mom's like, ah, well, no, just change your memo. All right, have fun. That's the way it's supposed to be. So he's like, here's it all, but you can't have it. And then the next thing is, and then Moses died. Like, Moses died. And it was kind of interesting because I don't think God killed him. He just let him go. And then the Moses, the servant of the Lord, died. Verse 5, there in Moab, as the Lord has said, and he buried him. Who buried him? God buried him or had angels bury him. And if you want to really look into this, if you go to the book of Jude later on, the Bible says because Moses got buried and nobody knew where his grave was at. So they couldn't set up a memorial, whatever it is. They didn't, God didn't let people know where he was buried. But if you go to the book of Jude, right before Revelation, you'll see that Michael, the archangel and the devil fought over Moses' body. And that's all you get. We talked Wednesday night about those little verses in the Bible. They just tell you one little bit of information and nothing else. That's one of them. It's like in the archangel Michael and the devil fought over Moses' body. And then they didn't say why. We don't know if it was like a tug of war. We don't know what happened. Probably not. Some of you brand new Christians are like, they pulled his body apart? No, I just, it's my way of trying to be funny. There was some fight and that was it. So he was buried. And then Israel... Okay, grieved over Moses. And again, it says he died. He was 120, yet his eyes were not weak, nor was his strength gone. And Israel grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning were over. Is that kind of an interesting story? He shows it to him and then he dies. And again, Moses got heaven or whatever it was back then. He he got to go to a better place. He didn't have to lead anymore. God will always bless you when you serve him. He will. The end is always good for the Christian, for the Christian who continues to serve him. So here's what happens, okay? On the edge of the promised land, Moses' death signaled, and this might mean something to you, Moses' death signaled the time for Joshua to take the lead. Now Joshua grew up in Egypt. Joshua was 10 to 12 years old when, when Egypt was still in captivity, when Moses came back, Joshua was old enough to know what slavery was. Joshua probably saw his dad come home with beatings on his back 
Joshua saw a lot of the bad things that were going on in Egypt, and he was old enough to remember it. So Joshua understood, man, the promised land is much better than where we were. And we went 40 years of disobedience, but I remember the beatings. I remember the, the little boys getting killed. I remember Pharaoh being mean, the man who, you know, I grew up in this palace, and he was killing little Hebrew babies because he was afraid. He would have seen the death angel, if you know the story, when, when God was trying to get Pharaoh to let his people go, and they had the plague of frogs and of bugs and the blood and all that weird stuff that happened. And then it was on the last one that, that God says, I'm going to kill the firstborn. If you don't have some blood on your doorposts, okay, the death angel, don't tell me the Old Testament is boring, dude. You got a death angel, like with a sword flying over a city. And if you don't have blood over your doorposts saying, I belong to God, the firstborn of the house died. And for those of us who were born second, you're like, hey, man, you better be nice to me or I'm going to wipe the blood off, bro, and you're gone. <laughs> I know it's terrible, but, but that's what we think sometimes, right? You got to come to you. you. Better be nice to me. And, and Joshua was the oldest of his family. So he would have been dead had they not had blood over their doorposts. All kinds of these cool things play together. So, you, so Joshua is taking a group of people with a lot of experience, a lot of experience of disobedience, a lot of experience of what life used to be like of how bad it really was. So I think he's more excited than anybody and the fact that he's the one that said we should go take it to begin with and he's had to wait 40 years for this to happen, him and his buddy Caleb, and they're ready to go in and fight. So he's, he faithfully served Moses for 40 years before becoming the leader. And notice that Moses had to die for this to happen. And in our lives, this is no different. Oftentimes, something has to die in order for us to make forward progress or take possession of what God has next. So my question for you here is, what are you keeping alive that's holding you back? What are you keeping alive? What, what is it that you're just holding on to that needs to die? Okay, is it bitterness? Is it anger? Is it resentment? Is it jealousy? Is it something that you just, you, you keep feeding the thing, but it keeps destroying you. You keep feeding the thing, but it keeps biting you. You keep feeding the thing, but it keeps, it keeps growing in you. It keeps festering. Instead of dealing with it, you're allowing it to stay alive. Let me tell you something, guys. Anger and bitterness will hold you captive forever if you don't learn to let it go. Notice, again, where it says that they mourn for Moses how long? 30 days. In other words, there was an expiration date on the morning. God was like, I'm giving you 30 days to mourn. You can cry. You can, you can do whatever you need to do. But 30 days later, I, I got something for you to move on. And I'm not making light of your situation. Okay, many of our church family have lost loved ones. And I'm not making light of that. But what I'm saying is, is you have to learn to say, you know what? I have to mourn and I'm probably always going to hurt. But my life is not done when somebody else died. Joshua's life was not done when Moses died. Matter of fact, it was just beginning. God will just change the directions. So Jesus said the same thing. He said, unless a seed dies, it can't grow, it can't reproduce. So what needs to die in you? What is it that you're keeping alive that needs to die? And I love the fact that God allowed them to be emotional over it. He said, you got 30 days to mourn your leader, 30 days. You can cry again, you can wail, you can do it. God doesn't say don't have emotion, but he says there's a point where you have to kind of just turn the page and move on. Even though the pain may be there, God still has a plan for your life. Joshua, had he went, oh, Moses is dead, we can't go in. No, Joshua now becomes the leader. Here's the one, I'm here to tell you this. The promise didn't die when Moses did. It actually activated it. So something in you, you might look at it as a complete loss, but God may be doing something new in your life. Okay, that's one way to look at it. The promise always has a process. 
The promise always has a process. We're not just very patient in the process, are we? We, we are terrible with patience. Our world is now instant everything. Streaming on demand. On demand, meaning you get to control the streaming. You get to control what it is that's on your internet. Hey, a hundred years ago, there was a process. You had to plant the seed and then wait for it to grow after you watered it and took care of everything. Now what do we do? We just go to farmer's market and buy, we want somebody else to grow it for us, but we just want to eat it. And that's okay. But there was a time when we couldn't just do that. If you wanted to live, you had to plant a garden. Who grew, who grew up with gardens? My mom always had this huge garden. I remember one time when I was goofing around in the garden, they were pulling weeds. I, I almost chopped my big toe off with a shovel. I was digging in the mud, and I was off a little bit. Yeah, it almost took my, it just, all kinds of things happened in the garden. Patience used to be a thing. Think about pioneers walking and wagons. Now you can fly to Sacramento in an hour and five minutes. It used to take that long for the woman to load up her piano in the wagon that you wanted to move, right? And for him to get the horses ready. Now you can be to Sacramento. Okay, we, we are just used to, to instant. And I think we have inadvertently trained ourselves that every promise can be possessed today. And that's not the way that God works, okay? So I'm asking you to be patient in this process you're facing today. Whatever it is that you're going through, just to be patient. Like my wife said last week, just keep walking. You may not see the walls fall down in this generation. And I'm going to ask you, as I taught a, a little leadership thing this week, um, and what I use is the story of Moses. And my, my question was, is are you willing to lead people for 40 years and still not, to fu- not fulfill the promise of possession? Are, are you willing to lead people even though you might die before the explosion happens at your church or, or revival takes place? Are you willing to lead well, not knowing whether or not you'll get the benefits? From it? Are you willing to plant a tree, a fruit tree, in which you may never get to eat the fruit? Are you willing to do that? It's a question, yes or no? Yes. Okay, I'm willing to invest into something that I may never get to see the fruit of, but it's still the right thing to do. And Moses was investing in this future generation, and Joshua um, is the one that gets to take him into the promised land. So there's three things that that the book of Joshua deals with as Pastor Stevie and I navigate this and we go through it. Uh, We're going to hit the first five verses today. Three things the book of Joshua deals. Number one, uh, the command is to enter the promised land. He says, enter it. Okay, you're at the the Jordan River. It's at flood stage, but I'm going to stop it. You're going to walk across. I want you to enter it. The second thing he says is subdue it. Now, do you know what subdue means? If you're in law enforcement, you know what subdue means. Overpower and pin them down. That's what subdue means, right? Are you an older brother? You absolutely know what subdue means, right? You, you, you subdue. Okay, are you married? You should not know what subdue means. Well, man, you're going to know. That's, it's submit would be a word we would use there. Subdue, it means to fight. You're going to find that God is a warrior God. He's going to tell Joshua, you take an army and you go annihilate the enemy. Guys, we're talking swords and spears. Okay, swords and spears and maybe an M60 or two. Um, probably not, but no, we, we, he, he went in and he said, I want you to kill the inhabitants of the land that are evil. And we don't like to really hear this part about God because we're in such a love and peaceful, you know, that, that God just wants us to love everybody. But you look at the Old Testament to, to go and take over a, a nation that was not going to serve God. that was a cancer to the society. And they went, it's like, go in and wipe them out. You know? So again, don't tell me the Old Testament was boring. Now, I'm not telling you, we're going to rally. We're going to go take Nampa. Get your guns. Let's go. All right. I'm not going to do that. 
I'm not going to do that. Protect yourself, but don't go looking for a fight. That's where I stand on it, okay? Subdue it. And we're going to see that it was bloody. And that it was, I mean, they went in and they fought. And it was, and you're like, how could God do that? Well, God knows who's going to serve him and who's not. You know, at least back in these things. And so they wiped out entire cities that were absolutely evil. And he told them why you wipe them out is because they will just spread evil. That's what they do. So, so war, guys, some people have this idea that, well, Jesus just, you know, he has a flower in his hand and in his ear. That's not the warrior Jesus that I know. He has that part, but he also has the warrior side. There's parts that we have to deal with. So he says, enter the promised land, subdue it. You're going to have to fight. And let's be clear, you're going to have to kill the evil people. That's, that's what he's telling them. And everybody's like, ah, um, are you glad it was them and not us? I mean, they're that good. <laughs> Welcome to Sunday church. Here's our orders for this week. Um, Melba. <laughs> We're actually going to get to the Melba story because uh, there's a little town called AI. They're like, oh, we don't have to take around any people and they get their tails kicked. Um, so anyhow, that's, that's, that's just reality. Enter it, subdue it, and then occupy it. And there's always a battle before you can occupy There's always a battle before you can occupy. So that's the three things that the book of Joshua deals with. So the fact is, in verse 1 of chapter 1 of Joshua, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, your servant, is dead. Now Moses, why did he have to tell him this? Because Moses went up by himself, as he did many times. And he spent a lot of time on the mountains. Praise God, it's good to spend time in the mountains. Do I get an amen amen from all you Idahoans? Because that's what you is now, right? Um, it's good to go to the mountains. He goes to the mountain and he dies. And God comes down and tells him, hey, Moses is dead. Okay, Moses is dead. Don't, don't be waiting for him. I know he takes a long time most of the time, but he's gone now. He's dead. Now then, because of this, you and all these people, you get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. Again, he gave it to them a long time ago. They hadn't possessed it yet. I will give you every place where you set your foot. Not every place that you can see, not every place that you can envision in your mind. He's like, every place that you set your what? Your foot, meaning what? It means you gotta move. You're gonna have to do something. You can't just sit back and wait for God to do everything for you. Why? Because, again, the promise always has a process. So here's the fact. Moses is dead. There's many of us in life that we don't wanna face the facts. We don't wanna look at what's really honest. Like, hey, here's the fact of where my life is. What do I need to do about it? A leader's job is to recognize reality. Reality is, is this is where we're at. We're on this side of the Jordan River and we're supposed to be on that side. That's what a leader does. If you're not a leader of people, you're at least a leader of yourself. Lead yourself well. Don't let yourself make excuses. Don't do the fun stuff before you do your chores. This week I had to do this. On Saturday I was like, I got all this yard work I do. Then I want to build this motorcycle because I'm working on this motorcycle when I have the time. And, and I was like, but I got to go spray weeds and I got to go clean this and I got to burn some leaves and I got to mow the lawn and I got to do this. And I, have, and I made myself do the stuff I didn't really want to do so I could do the fun stuff later. Discipline yourself, okay? Don't reward yourself prematurely. Don't reward yourself until you have the hard stuff done. So here was the orders, okay? He's dead, the orders is, is get ready and cross the Jordan. So how do we get from where we are to where we need to be in life? You know where you're at right now, but where do you want to go? How are you going to get there? You have to have a plan. It's not just going to happen. But you have to be honest with where you are. 
Are you struggling with something? Is it an addictions? Whatever it is that you're facing, you have to be honest. Say, you know what? I have a problem with alcohol. I have a problem with pornography. I have a problem with jealousy. I have a problem with anger. I have a problem with substance. I have a problem. You have to admit that you have the problem before you can deal with the problem. Do I get an amen? Okay, if you're not right with Jesus, you have to say, you know what, I'm not right with Jesus. And if I died, I might go to hell right now. Well, actually, I would go to hell right now if I wasn't right with Jesus. So you need to be right with Jesus. Amen. The fear should sweep across this place right now that if you're not right with Jesus, right now is a good time to get right with Jesus because the rapture could happen at any second. Amen. Let me tell you something. If it happens and you're still here, don't worry about the lights. <laughs> you can stay here and preach, right? I want everybody to go when it happens. So the Jordan at flood stage are facing this river. And God is about to make a way for over uh, around 1.5 to 2 million people to get across this river at flood stage. God shows his faithfulness again to a generation that did not see the Red Sea part 40 years ago when they came out of Egypt. You see, if you could do it on your own, you would take the credit. God didn't bring them to the Jordan River when it was only a few feet deep. Because if you could walk across it by yourself, you'd be like, I don't need God. There's times that we have a insurmountable, impossible situation to where you have to have God or you're not going to get a miracle. And you might be there today. You just keep believing God for the miracle. Say, God, I can't do this. And God says, I've been waiting for you to admit that. Now I can. I can't do it. You ever had somebody that's stubborn, your kid trying to do something, they just can't do it. And they finally like, can you open this for me? And you're like, I'm just wondering when you're going to ask me because I saw you struggling. Not that you shouldn't struggle because that's how you get strength. But there is a point where you had to concede the struggle. Say, I can't do this on my own. Okay, I need Jesus to help me, help me here. So verse 2, God had already given them the promised land, dating clear back to Abraham, but it was up to them to take possession of it. They had to act on what they knew. Once again, there's a present under the tree with your name on it, but you have to go down and you have to take possession of it. The rest is up to you. See, it's possible to acknowledge the reality of the promise without taking possession of it. What is it that God has promised you? What is it that in your life right now, it's like, God, give me this promise, and, and am I waiting for him to do all the work, or am I doing something to achieve it? Like, if God has called you to be a doctor, you can't just go up, oh, that's my call, so I don't need med school. Give me a scalpel. Yeah, would anybody just volunteer to be practiced? Right no, you'd be like, no, you need to go to 12 years of med school so you know what you're doing to me. There's a process to becoming what God wants you to become. And the, the disobedience, again, uh, actually I got ahead of myself, the detour was the result of disobedience. This detour, not every detour, but this particular detour, 40 years in the desert, now they get to possess it. So disobedience, and hear me on this, will always lead to wandering. When you disobey God, guys, you will wander. And then people around you will wonder, when are they going to get right? Because I see, the, I see the result of your disobedience. And, and when are you going to understand that when you disobey, bad things happen? When you obey, bad things will still happen, but you have Jesus on your side. Because right? disobedience will cause you to wander. And this detour was a result of disobedience. Well, the victory is also going to be the result of their obedience. Like my wife said last week, Jericho came down because they obeyed. They didn't understand. And if you wait till you understand before you obey, you will never possess what God has promised you. You can't, you're not going to understand a lot of things. So this started, the disobedience, with 10 guys who spread negative seeds that were planted and allowed to grow in the hearts of the people 40 years ago. My question for you here is, what are you allowing to grow in your heart today? What are you allowing to grow in your mind? What seeds are getting put into your mind or your heart that are not good for you, that are against what God's word says? Seeds of fear, seeds of doubt, seeds of, I don't think God's going to come through. Okay, here's, what, here's where the 10 spies went wrong. 
Maybe take a picture of this with your phone. They, you, know, you know, 30, 40 years ago, if you just said that, take a picture with your phone, somebody hanging on the wall with a long threaded cord, would have what? <laughs> somebody don't even remember that. Phones used to be attached to the wall. You could not talk to your girlfriend or your significant other without everybody hearing. And they would always know where you are. Some people bought the 20-foot-long 20 20 long cords, you know, and it goes into the closet. We still knew where you were. You just follow the cord. My phones used to be attached to the wall. If you didn't know that, you used to not be able to take pictures with your phone. You used to have to go, hello, wondering who it was. Now you look and go, ah, no, I'm not answering that call. So here's what they did. They based their belief on what they saw, not what God said. And this might be where you are today. What did they see? The ten spies, they saw giants in the land. Did they forget that God parted the Red Sea? Did they forget the death angels? Did they forget all the plagues that happened in Egypt that they didn't have to experience? Did they forget the pillar of fire at night that led them and the cloud by day that was an angel? Did they forget the darkness between them and the Egyptians? Did they forget the manna? Did they forget the quail? Did they forget the water? Did they forget everything God did to sustain them even through their disobedience? And now they see giants and they're like, we can't do this. We can't do this. Is the giant bigger than the God who made the giant? Come on, guys. And he's like, you, you, you guys are not remembering what God brought you out of. You're facing what you're facing now. That's nothing compared to how big God is. Pastor Stevie, they went camping this week in, in, in L.A. I used this illustration this morning. In, in, in L.A., he, he saw stars, but they were man-made stars. Man-made stars that are paid way too much for pretending to be people that they aren't. Okay, I was like, we should pay our law enforcement and our military personnel more than we pay fakers. Okay, because they're fakers. That's all they are. And, and then, and then we give them a voice. And they live behind gated communities and are anti-gun, but they're protected by them. Hmm. Interesting, right? But we make these stars. Well, he gets to see real stars. Goes up into the mountains. There's no light pollution. He sees, looks up, and he's just like, wow. That's the God who I serve. The God that made that planet, made that star. That's the God who cares about me and my situation. What I'm facing, the stinking giants, ain't... I better be careful because I like the giants. I should say Dodgers. Um, Yeah, yeah, stinking giants. Quoted. That's all you'll remember from today's message. You dodged. (laughs) So Pastor Stan said, stinking giants, all right? All right? We, We look at the stars and wait, wait. The God that made all of that cares about me as an individual. What am I worried about? What am I facing that's bigger than that? Nothing. And these Israelites forgot what God had done for them. Guys, don't ever forget what God did for you. Okay? They based their belief on what they saw, not what God said. God said, go in and possess. They're like, but we can't. There's giants. And God's like, oh, I didn't know about the giants. Sorry. No, God knew about the giants. He made the giants. Okay? They saw the giants, and that was their reality. But they didn't really see giants. What they really saw was defeat. It wasn't necessarily the giants. It was what the giants could do to them without God's hand. And some of you are facing giants today, and you're, and you're forgetting who made the stars. The God of creation. That yeah. he has you in his hand. He's going to protect you. He's going to get you through it. You see, I'm just as guilty as anybody when I see the giants, and I kind of forget how big God is. I'm like, oh, man, we're facing this thing. And wait a second, God's bigger than that. They forgot a lot of things. Don't ever forget what God has done for you, okay? Here's what I came to the conclusion of is they treated the miraculous as normal and they became ungrateful. 
See, the Israelites saw miracles regularly. And the problem is, is when you see a miracle regularly, you just get used to it. And what you get used to, you typically get unappreciative toward it. Like a hot shower, right? You kind of forget about the hot water heater until it goes out. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I appreciate it, right? Now, I want to be appreciative of hot water because you have to think about our men and women who are in a combat zone without showers to be thankful that I actually have hot water, Okay. That's how my, my mind thinks that way. Is like, I appreciate our military. They, they went for maybe weeks or days without showers. I am thankful for my hot shower. Thankful for my hot water heater. We live in a great country. Amen? Amen. We really do. And it's because of men and women who are willing to give their lives for that. And we need to respect that. So they, they, they treated the miraculous as normal and they became ungrateful. Don't ever get to the place where the sacred is seen as normal or even despised. The sacredness of marriage, the sacredness of our relationships, okay? What is it in us that that tends to forget what God has done for us in the past when we face our current obstacle? I'm here to remind you of what God has brought you through already so that you know that you can get through what you're facing now. He loves you, okay? And 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 he's done the best that he can to help you understand that. But I don't have an answer for how we forget so easily, but the solution is to remind ourselves continually of what God has done for us in the past, Again, and what he's going to do for us now. But the promise must be pursued in order to be possessed. God opens the doors, but you still have to step through them. You still have to do something. If you need a job, you need to apply. You need to apply. You can't just sit at home and say, well, I'm just believing the CEO of Apple is going to call and offer me an executive position just because, you know, God's going to put it on his heart. That's probably not going to happen. You have to at least apply. So verse 3, he says this. I will give you every place you set your foot. Names all the territory. God's not going to do everything for you. Meaning, again, you have to walk. You have to, every place you set your foot, meaning you have to actually walk around it. Now, those of you who are going to take me literal, you're going to go out to the nicest car after church, and you're going to walk around it a few times, and you're going to believe that it's yours. It's not. That would be stealing if you try to take it from the person. But if there is a brand new Corvette there left all by itself after everybody's gone, I might take that as a sign. All right? Faith, <laughs> watch somebody's like, well, I was going to go to lunch with them, but I'm not leaving my covert now because of what the pastor just said. <laughs> Faith isn't sitting back and waiting for God to do everything for you. That's called laziness. That's called laziness, all right? I'm going to have our worship team come back. We're going to end with a song because uh, this is so fitting. Um, I didn't know we were singing the song today, but it so fits with what we're doing. But most of the time, I had this thought this week, most of the time faith is like power steering. You still have to steer, but God just makes it easier. Okay, you still have to keep your hand on the wheel, right? Jesus, take the wheel. Well, that means that he wasn't in control in the first place. I love Carrie Underwood's songs, but, but, but honestly, that means that you were in control. Okay? God is not your co-pilot. If he's your co-pilot, you need to move over because you don't know what you're doing, right? No, he needs to be our pilot. That used to be the big bumper sticker back in a long time ago. I almost said back in the 80s, but most of you weren't even born back then. Yeah, no. Remember those God is my co-pilot bumper stickers? Always wanted to get out and knock on the window and say, what kind of Christian are you, man? Let, let God fly your plane, but might get shot in Idaho. Uh, might happen. See, God has promised us, and I actually forgot this last, last message. God has promised us victory, but not victory without battles. Pastor Joe Foch said that. I love that. He's promised us victory, but not victory without battles. We're going to fight. The goal is, is to keep staying in the fight. Even if you're fighting and it keeps coming back and you're having a hard time overcoming something, I'll tell you, God is just proud that you're still fighting. you got addictions that you're facing. God is proud that you're just still fighting. You have cussing that comes out. God is just proud that you're still fighting. 
to get closer to him, not fighting people. Let me be clear with that. Some of you are brand new Christians, you just eat everything up. I say, oh, he wants me to fight. No, it's not what he wants you to do. You know what I mean? Spiritually, just keep battling. You just keep going. You fall, you get up, you keep going. That's what God wants you to do. But today, the question that you have to answer is, if you died right now, would you go to heaven? And if you don't know the answer, like, I'm not really sure, how do I know that? Well, the Bible says that if I accept Jesus as my Savior, that's how I get to go to heaven. It's not by doing good things. It's not the scorecard. It's whether or not I've given my life to Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that qualifies you to get to heaven. That's the only door. And so if you've never made that decision before, I'm going to give you a chance to in a moment because I don't want you leaving this place wondering whether or not you're going to heaven. You can know. Amen. And it doesn't depend on my behavior. And I'm so thankful for that, Bob. <laughs> it's not my behavior. God doesn't look at it every day and go, eh, you're close, buddy. No, he looks at me and says, the blood of Jesus has covered you because you accepted it. You're on your way. Now it's just getting there, right, unscathed as best as we can. But are you right with God? And if you would bow your heads for a moment, and this is just the way we do it here. To me, it's kind of a private thing between you and God and me. But I want to pray with you. I'm not going to point you out or embarrass you. But if you need to accept Jesus as your Savior, he wants to forgive you. And he is waiting with loving arms to forgive you the moment you ask him to of any sin, any wrong you have ever done. But we have to accept him into our life in order to get to heaven. That's the way it is. Hell is the default. Hell is what we get when we refuse God. That we will spend eternity in hell for paying for our own sins for eternity. Well, Jesus died on a cross to pay for our sins for eternity. And all we have to do is ask him to forgive us. That's, that's a pretty sweet deal. It doesn't require much of us. It required everything of him. So if you need to make that decision, I'm just asking you to be bold and brave. Just lift your hand up briefly where I can see it because I want to pray with you. But I'm not going to point you out. Okay. All right. I see your hand. Anybody else? Okay. I see the other hands. You can put them down. All right, well, there's four or five people that, that are raising their hands. And let's pray. This is how we do it at our church family. We just pray the same prayer together. And let's just ask Jesus to do something special here. So just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I believed you died on a cross for me. And I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. You just got forgiven. It's that fast. It's that fast. Amen. 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 Now, we have some tools for you. If you need a Bible at the information booth, we have a Bible. We have it's called a New Believer's Handbook. It's like, okay, I, I gave my life to Jesus. What do I do now? Uh, they're free. We just give them out. And uh, what I want you to do is over the course of this next year, make it so we have to buy more boxes of those because we give out a lot. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's a win for me is when somebody gives their life to Christ. Um, secondly, if you're facing a battle, like my wife, again, I just love her message last week, that it's God's job to knock down the wall, not yours. Your job is just to obey. Your job is just to do what he told you to do. And there's no time frame usually given. Now, with the Israelites, God says on the seventh day, this is going to happen. I wish it was that easy. I wish God would say, okay, you know, this, this amount of time, for the Israelites, it was 40 years getting to that point. Okay? God doesn't always give us time frames. Because I think if you did, I think we'd goof off until like the last day. Then we'd get right, everything would be cool. But no, God just says, be ready. But God's going to get you through it. Amen. So we're going to sing this song. And this is going to be a proclamation. It's going to be a prayer. And then uh, we'll keep going. So let's stand up and let's worship. And let's.